Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 23rd ever episode of Inside Outlook, the official podcast of Asian Outlook Magazine. My name is Mike, and joining me today, Miss Lisa Lim. Lisa, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Lisa, I know you were just published in Asian Outlook. Can you give me a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I am. I make comics on the side. I, I'm actually like, I'm a storyteller, um, and one of the things that I did was like I was really into writing. You know, I, I was an English lit major. All I did was write fiction and nonfiction. But then at a certain point in my life, I was like, you know what? I really I feel like I'm missing something about um, the storytelling. And that's when I started taking comics. Um, I took some comics classes at SVA. And then I was really interested in fusing um, pictures and words. And then all of a sudden, I feel like I felt like complete. Like I felt like, oh my goodness, I could finally tell a story that really kind of captured everything I wanted to. So that's how I became a comic storyteller. Mm. And so what does that look like right now? What kind of comics are you working on? I am actually going to uh, have my first book anthology that I'm in um, that's recently published. Um, and it's called The Cutting Edge, New Stories of Mystery and Crime by Women Writers. And it's actually edited by Joyce Carol Oates, which is amazing because she's like kind of my hero. And it's got these mm. awesome lady storytellers like... Um, Margaret Atwood, Amy Bender, Edwidge Dandicat, Valerie Martin, just a slew of awesome um, storytellers. And it was, it's, it's actually going to be, it's on Amazon right now, but I think it's going to be available on the 4th of um, November, but you can actually pre-order it right now. Uh, but it was really interesting because it was, you know, the first time that I actually had to do um, fiction for a long, you know, I haven't done fiction in such a long time. My, my, um, the main thing that I usually do is, um, nonfiction because I like to tell stories about my life. So what I, it's, and it's a noir, right? So it was like a 10, 11 page uh, noir mm-hmm. about, um, and it was based on my mom. And I remember growing up and listening to her stories of like feeling so disenfranchised by my grandmother who I loved so much. So it was hard for me, you know, but she had had all this angst about my grandmother. And, and I kind of like took that and I leveraged that angst and I made a noir out of it. So that was really fun. Um, and it's called the hunger. So that's in the anthology called cutting edge that's coming out. Just exciting. That sounds very interested. I'm very interested. Thanks. In and fiction still pretty influenced by your own life experiences, I would say. Does that sound Yeah, right? I mean, mostly I do comics about my life. I mean, I feel like something that has always interested me is like, I feel like I had a very different upbringing in that um, it was super, super diverse. Like, for instance, so my parents separated when I was four, um, you know, they were both, um, you know, Chinese Americans. And then I, my father remarried. Uh, my stepmom, who's Puerto Rican, and they raised me since I was four. And then my mom, like, got remarried, and she married um, a stepfather who's my ex-stepfather now, but he was Egyptian. And so it was, like, very, like, a, a melting pot of cultures and I think really adds a lot of different dimensions to my comic storytelling and, like, different perspectives. And, you know, and also, like, my cousins are all, like, mixed Czech and Chinese. And it's just, like, a really interesting... Uh, family that constantly gives me 
a lot of inspiration. You also just published a piece in Asian Outlook that I think sort of encapsulates all of those things. It's called How I Went From Being an Apolitical to a Little More Political Asian. Um, so one of the things that I've, I became a mom like back in 2014, right? And I felt like, I felt like at the time, you know, it was before 2014, before I became a mom, I was very, it's kind of like apolitical. I kind of, you know, just was like really into just learning art and like, you know, listening to music and not really getting too involved politically. And then um, something happened. Trump got elected and there was a certain, like, I remember like watching the election and I remember like seeing like the sea of like, I don't know, just a sea of sameness, right. Um, in, in his, um, inauguration. And I just remember like getting really sad. It was felt like such a despair, like it's such a different feeling from the feeling I felt the sense of hope that I felt when Obama was elected. And it even like, I think got compounded by the fact that I'm a mother now and I'm like, Oh my gosh, my, my, my child is going to have this new future. And there's like a lack of diversity. There's like, there's, and then, and then the March came around, right? And um, it was in DC and I'm not, you know, big, like I said, I'm, I was never into politics, um, but one of the things I was like, I must do this, I must go and march, right? And so I kind of documented my entire um, journey from like, you know, not being so, you know, being apolitical to being a little more political and going and kind of marching with all these women and men and, you know, and just everyone um, and just kind of feeling a sense of like hope within the people who are protesting. Um, and so, I don't know, that's kind of how that came about, uh, that comic. And I do a lot of comics that I uh, submit to Mother Magazine, which is run by Meg Lemke, who is the most amazing um, editor. But she's really given me such an, like an opportunity to have a voice and as a, as a new mom and just, you know, as a comic storyteller. So that was how that, piece came about. I love it. So do you think that the main thing that really drives your work is your personal experiences like that? Yeah, I think so. I feel like one of the things that I do is like I do a lot of my comics on the train because, you know, I have a very demanding job, so I don't really have that many hours. Plus, I'm a mom, right? So I have to kind of make the best and the most of the time I have. So I... What I do is like while I'm on the train, um, I'll just write notes to myself. Okay, I can make a comic about this or I whip out my if I get a seat, I whip out my sketchbook and I start like, you know, drawing, um, you know, something funny that like, you know, that I, I saw like my my son. I don't know. For some reason, he's really into pulling down his pants and showing me his squishy tushy. Like he's just like like all of these funny things that I think are like ridiculous. And you know, the other day he carved a pumpkin that he said it's my robot pumpkin, and it had this like square eyes and you know this mouth that looked like it had been I don't know decimated. But it just like was you know just little funny things that I find funny in my life, and I'm mostly about being a mom. Um, and about family that I just kind of like doc like to document. And to be quite honest, like the reason why I am such a big um, documenter um, through comics or any kind of storytelling is because I have such a bad memory. It's just the only way that I can remember things. Mm. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of why I do it. It's very interesting. Have you always felt that way? And has writing and art always been a big part of your life? Well, writing has always been a big part of my life. Um, I felt like I always like I actually have diaries upon diaries um, of just 
lots of lots of feelings like just lots of feelings and I remember actually for uh I went actually went to city college for my um for grad school for creative writing and I remember what I did was I actually poured over all of my you know teenage angst and all like through all the journals that I've kept and I kind of would use that to create this these stories um that I submitted as my you know final forget what you even call those things (laughs) you're things I don't know you'll have to help me I don't remember what you call them but uh <laughs> that is how yeah grandma so yeah I, I mean I definitely feel like to me and also like what I really love about like writing and storytelling and comics is like I feel like I'm able to kind of even stumble through old memories that I don't that I didn't even know I had you know so like I'll be writing a piece like even like this non this um non, this uh, fiction piece that I have in Cutting Edge, yes, it's nonfiction, but it's based on a lot of real stuff that happened. But I like when you start to write and when you start to draw, you stumble upon little memories that you just never knew you had, and then that brings you to another rabbit hole and brings you to another rabbit hole, which I feel like um, you know kind of intensifies the story because it it gives it deeper meaning, like meaning that you didn't even know it was going to have before so do those memories surprise you often yeah they they definitely do like I don't know I was writing this one piece and I just remembered all of a sudden you know my grandmother um helped raise us too right and she had this cabinet that was filled with all these different herbs and like roots and like dried earthworms and like I don't know reindeer hooves I don't even know what they were but they were just like they had I remember the distinct smell you know they were kept in jars right kind of like when you go to those herbal the herbalists in Chinatown they have everything in these jars and you you don't even know what they are but they look kind of like super interesting and magical so I remember her always like trying to cure our like coughs our um you know our rashes our bruises with like all of these different lotions and potions. And so that was really such a wonderful memory that like led me to, sorry. It's a, anyway, so that's how, yeah, that's how I write. I kind of draw from just little small details of my life and I kind of like see where that takes me. And how has, I suppose we've sort of touched on this theme a little bit before, but how would you say being an Asian American and an Asian American woman affected both you personally and the work that you I mean, I feel like it's all I write about. I, I mean, I worried about like my, I mean, my grandmother by far has been one of my hugest inspirations. Like she just is, first of all, she's the, <laughs> I feel like she almost, she scared away my mom. <laughs> she nearly scared away my stepmother. She had this like crazy nagging finger that like kind of hooked, like I, I drew it. it. It's in one of my comics. Um, but it's like this crazy finger that kind of like curved and kind of nagged you to death. And she was so, she had such a strong force and she was only four foot, like I think eight, she was shorter than me and I'm pretty short. And she was just like such a force to be reckoned with. And she couldn't, she walked so slowly. It was like, you weren't even walking. Right. And she just was such, I don't know. I would, I, 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 and I spent my time like just going, um, you know, hanging out with her and going to her friends. Like I remember this one, um, one of her friends is called Strongpaw, and she was she had this huge, gigantic perm. You know, like almost like, like a Michael Jackson okay, perm, okay. like that. And then, and then she was 
she used to carry these, um, we used to go and collect uh, aluminum cans from people's garbage. I mean, we were those people, right? We would go into the, like, we would go through their garbage, get the aluminum cans, and then we would take the garbage, the, the cans to the, um, to the recycling bin and like get like our five cents deposit at the time. Right. And I remember like my grandma was so fierce. She used to fight the homeless people just to get in front of the line. I mean, she was pretty fearless. So, I mean, yeah, she was kind of, she's always been kind of a hero in my story. And also my, like my biological mom who I love completely. Like she, you know, she didn't raise me, but like, we're really, we're really great friends now. And she's so wonderful. And she's been through so much. Um, but her life has been kind of a crazy um, inspiration to me, too. It's been, it's been huge. Like, it's, it's kind of all I write about. Do you mind me asking if you could speak a little bit on how it was reconnecting with your biological mother? Yeah, I mean, well, she would always see us. Um, so basically like my parents separated when I was four, right. But she would always see us every weekend. So my mother, she, you know, at the time, I remember this one point in her life, she, it's kind of a dark time in her life, but she kind of was in a position where she didn't have a lot of money. Right. And she would actually sleep at her job and she would work during the day, but I don't think her employers knew that. Mm. Right. But um, because she had no place to really take us during the weekends, and I didn't know, I didn't really understand that and didn't put two and two together because, I don't know, frankly, I don't think I was that smart. <laughs> but basically what she would do is she would take us, like, like we would walk, like, so far. We would walk, like, from, you know, Queens to, to Manhattan. Like, she, we would walk a lot and we would travel the trains. I remember... I have these vivid memories of her like just traveling on the trains back in the day when there was graffiti all over the trains. And um, I remember kind of like sleeping on her, um, you know, kind of lying down, you know, and, and kind of sleeping on her while people were coming in like boom boxes and there was graffiti. And I just, and then she would take us to movies, right? But she would like skip into movie after movie after movie. Cause you know, she, we didn't have a place to hang. So we would, she would carry this huge, um, huge red bag and she'd fill it up with like Cheetos and like Pringles, not what Pringles, not Pringles, but like um, wise potato chips and like all these now and later candies that like probably rotted my teeth. And we'd go to these um, movies that were, you know, of course, all rated R movies. (laughs) She didn't really, yeah, the, the good ones. She was good. She was pretty open. And we would go, and I remember one time we actually got caught and my, I I don't think they even cared. They caught us. They took our food from us, but then they let us like skip into the next movie, which was kind of a fond memory. But yeah, like she had like a kind of a crazy life, and like I I draw from her experience too. So, and my stepmom too, who's who's um, my stepmom who's uh, Puerto Rican. She, you know, she t- used to take me to the botanicas, like where you would. I mean, I don't know too much about Santeria and she swears she's not a Santeria, but I swear to God, there are like some things that I just can't, like she would make these flower baths, you know, I remember collecting all these herbs and flowers from their, you know, from all around Queens. And then at the end of the day, she would make these flower baths and kind of like, you know, cook, she'd cook up the flowers and then she'd put them in a bath with her. And then she did all these other things and she'd had, she used to have these like awesome shrines filled with um, santitos, like small little sculptures of saints. And then, I don't know, it was, anyway, it felt very, I felt like it was, my childhood was very kind of 
surreal and magical and scary all at the same time. So yeah, I do have a lot of inspiration for my family. I like that. I like that. I'm kind of obsessed with this idea that most people, I think, when we say the word culture, we think of this big, grand yeah. sweeping example of, you know, this country has been celebrating this ancient holiday for a thousand years. But a lot of the times we forget that culture yeah. can be those small personal instances that just happened a few years ago, whether it's a subway ride or a flower bath, something yes. like that. Um, beautiful stuff. I love that. Oh, for sure. Thank you. There's this writer named Mark Bamuthi Joseph. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right. But yeah, this real striking quote that I heard one time in an interview, he said that he doesn't have time to make art that doesn't mean anything. And there, he just communicated this incredible sense of urgency to what he did, even though he wasn't directly uh, a legislator or anything like that, even though he was a creative and an artist, he still had this immense sense of responsibility. One that I'd say might be a little too hardcore to uh, instill in everyone, but it was definitely interesting. So another question I have for you is, do you feel like being political at all is some sort of responsibility for you personally? I mean, for me, I feel like I'm going to be quite honest. I feel like I, before, before I became a mom, I felt less, and it's kind of embarrassing, but I didn't feel that it was so important to vote. But after becoming a mom, it's like, I felt it was so important to vote because like the future was at stake. And so um, one of the things, like, I mean, these are micro, little micro actions, but I I try to convince everyone I meet, like, you know, you have to vote, you have to, you have to, you know, we have this wonderful, you know, ability in America to, to make a, you know, a choice about our future. And for you to just like stay home and not vote is just, it's just kind of like something that it's one micro action that you can do. Um, so that's the one thing I do. Strangely enough, I feel like the younger people I meet in my world are not so political. And even like with the Women's March, they didn't really want to go to the Women's March. They're a lot younger, but I, I was surprised at that because, you know, you see all this like movement, like with climate change, with Greta, and like you think that there's more of um, like a need to want to create a better future. But I was, strangely enough, maybe it's the circles I was hanging out in. And of course, we all hear about the stereotypes, whether it'd be called um, being a model minority or apolitical Asians or Asian stoicism, whatever it is. Um, I think you also described something very similar in a very succinct way in your piece. You said regarding the experience at the Women's March, head down, no conflict, that was Asian. I think that's such a, such a brief and, again, succinct, perfect way to describe that sort of feeling, that sort of sentiment. I mean, it's interesting because... And, and this is like for very um, a familiar story for many Asians, right? And it's kind of like, you know, I'm ashamed of it. I'm ashamed of not being as political as I, sh I could be. Um, but I think that there's, like, I grew up with my grandmother who, and I think it came from her and listening to her friends and like, you know, she had fled communism. Her friends, you know, struggled to fled to flee from communism. But, the, you know, some of her friends, like the woman I was talking to you about, Strongpa, her like one of her stories is like she used to kneel on like I think the um the soldiers made her kneel on broken glass and that was like a very common thing because she had too much money right and so I think like anytime that you have too much or you're too loud or you're too too anything too much of anything causes people to kind of 
give too much of a watchful eye onto you, which which could possibly bring danger to you and your family. So so even I remember even distinctly, even like um, we would hear like certain things like out on the street, like, oh, my gosh, I call 911. She'd be like, no, 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 we shouldn't call anybody. Like she's just she doesn't like to get the government involved or like this, you know, cops. And it's just there's this distrust of the government that I think is in a lot of. I mean, maybe I'm just misspeaking, but like in my family, there was a lot of distrust of the government or like, you know, a lot of Asian families like used to hide their money, like in not in banks, but like underneath their mattresses. They used to hide them in like they I mean, I know my friend, my grandmother and her friends used to sew their money into their their clothes. You know, like there was a, a distrust of banks, a distrust of government. So you could understand where this feeling of can stem from. But I don't know, you know, when I started writing it, like I didn't know what I was even talking about. I was like, I don't know. This is just a, a gut I have about Asian culture. But then I started, you know, Googling some articles. And I was like, oh, it, it is, it does kind of exist. It is out there. And so I thought that was really interesting. And so, yeah, I mean, it, and as I was writing it, I was actually super like even more ashamed of the fact that I had been so apolitical and, Anyway, it just made me think about like your your um your question made me think mm-hmm. about yeah 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 and I've also I recently heard a gentleman talking about one of his uh, another Asian American gentleman talking about in how do I uh, like formative memory of his when his father who at the time was undocumented they owned some sort of store and they were being robbed and their his dad got up tried to defend the store got beaten up basically by these people trying to rob the place. And afterwards, his dad, who was badly injured, he, he was being asked to go to the police to file a report or go to the hospital, and he would just refuse. And how this really laid dormant in this, this gentleman's mind as a, as a memory. Yeah. I mean, but you think about, like, what's happening now. Like, I feel like people are, like, there's a distrust of the government. Like, you, there's a distrust of reporting what actually happened because you're afraid it's going to be documented and somehow turn against you. So yeah, definitely. it is kind of frightening. I'm actually going to do a quick plug for the census in 2020, which is super important that um, a lot of people don't realize you should definitely participate in the census, even if you are undocumented, because you're guaranteed to um, be safe from any sort of persecution or anything like that, even if you are undocumented and participating in that census. So watch out for that in April. It ironically opens up the census on April 1st on April Fool's Day. So take from that what you will. But my next question for you would be, we already talked about your feelings on whether or not it's a responsibility for you personally to be political. I'm going to ask, do you think it's a responsibility of everyone in general to have some sort of political presence? I think, you know what it is? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's the word political that makes me feel uneasy. I feel like everyone has, I don't know, just the right to do what's right. For instance, like for vote, like for voting, like I know it seems, and I feel this way too, and I already admitted it shamefully, but it's like you feel, you can't help it, but you feel a sense of fatigue because there's so many bad things that happen and like they're happening every every time you open the news every time you read the newspaper you you you, you watch cnn there's, there's something so it's like every day beats mm-hmm. the other day in bad news right so if there's one thing i think that everyone should do it's vote and i do think that they should do that did i answer your question yeah. or 
I... And um, no, I totally agree with you. And the word itself, political, can be a little off-putting. And I feel the same way. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, I think it's polarizing. I feel like mm-hmm. it, it turns me off, to be quite honest, you know? So when you first asked me, like, so what are you doing to be more political? Like, I don't, like, I don't think of myself as, you know what I mean? Like, I I don't really, even to this day, like, I don't, I know I said, like, I want to be, but there, there's something about off-putting about that word that maybe I just like, to me, it's just, just mm-hmm. be human, just do what's right. Just do, do what's good for the future. Do good for the future. Do good for the, the children that you have. And I think the word woke has a very similar sort of thing going on for me, at least in that I love for everyone to be quote woke, yeah. but also it's kind of a standoffy sort of a term. Can you tell me a little bit about your creative process? Once you get an idea for something, how do you know what sort of artistic medium you're going to go into? And then how do you develop that idea further? These days, it's very different. Um, My process back in the day um, used to be very, like I had all the time in the world and I would spend hours inking and you could even see the differences in my style. Like they were, you know, back in the day, I created like very, very like, you know, detailed pieces of art. And now it's just like chicken scratch, but it's my chicken scratch. And it's the, the chicken scratch that I get done, um, you know, during the time I have allotted. So I feel like right now, like I told you before, what I do is like on my commute to work or on my commute back, I start writing notes to myself in my notes section on my iPhone. Like, okay, well, you know, you know, um, this would make a really good idea for a comic. And then I start like, for instance, okay. So one of the things I'm working on right now is, um, I mean, I have multiple stories I'm working on, but I'm working on this one story um, talking about, so right now I'm going through this whole ordeal where I'm trying to sell my dad's house. But my dad was a, like kind of a hoarder, right? In that he loved, he had all this sentimental value of all these different things, like old shoes, old TVs, like, you know, just all the retro stuff. Like, And his house just keeps piling and piling and piling with all this stuff, right? And he never wanted to part with it. And, you know, one of the things that people make fun of me about is that I'm such a minimalist now in that I like to throw away everything. Like it gives me such happiness to throw away stuff. In fact, sometimes my son comes to me, he goes, mommy, I, I cannot have you throwing away my artwork. (laughs) So like literally like checks the garbage every day. He's like, did you throw away my shit? And I was like, no. And it's like, doesn't it feel good to throw away your stuff? Because they said like, because I grew up with such a hoarder, like, I mean, he's not a, people say, I don't know, everyone has their own definition of hoarder, but I felt like it was hoarding. And so because of that, so I'm writing this whole story out. I'm trying to like understand my feelings and understand my, why my dad doesn't want to part with his shit. So I started writing this story like on my iPhone and like on my notes section. Right? So I'm going to turn that into a comic, right? So that's kind of like my process. Like I get inspired, like I have a problem, like a feeling, like, a, like I felt devastated with like this selling of the house and like wanting to convince my father to sell the house. So I started writing about it to like deal with my emotions about it. And then I stumbled into like, oh my God, that's why I'm such a minimalist. That's why I threw out my son's stuff. <laughs> you know, like, so, so then I start, once I have that story down, right, as a structure, then I start like, like, um, you know, drawing, comicking about it. And that's like kind of, that's kind of my process. And that's kind of like a real story that I, I'm hoping okay. to realize you sort of touched on your (laughs) son having some sort of artwork that could possibly be thrown out do you see your kid as being another creative type such as yourself 
Oh, most definitely. He is a total, um, he's a creative spirit by far. Like he, so we've already, like he's five, right? And we've already like made books together. So like what happens is he'll draw the pictures for the story and then he'll tell me like mm. the story and then I'll write it out. Like there's this one story about a panda monster and a Christmas tree and they meet in a forest Something mm. devastating happens, but I don't remember. Don't but anyway, the the point is, is like, yeah, yeah, you'll have to get on Amazon. Just kidding, it's not there yet. But basically, he's he's a very he's a and he has a great sense of humor. And I think the thing he sees me drawing, so he starts to draw, and he likes making up. So every night before we go to sleep, we tell like we make up a story for each other, like you know, and then and then we build on each other's stories. So. I think we've already, yeah, we've got a little like creative spirit um, on the rise. He's definitely really excited about making. I like that. I like that. Speaking of growing up, um, I have one final question for you before we close out here. So I know that you are a Binghamton alum. I know that given the uh, subject matter of your work, you seem to be someone who's pretty in touch with yourself. Can I ask, do you have any advice for the students here at Binghamton who are trying to find their way through both college and just through life in general. So I have any advice for them? Um, yes, I have an advice. I think that every student should do a study abroad program if possible. Um, because I really think that the more you travel, the more, the, the more different people you meet and, and expose yourself to, I think you have like, you become a richer storyteller, you know, like, there's nothing interesting in surrounding yourself with the same kinds of people, with the same people who think like you. When you surround, and I, and this is something that I, I myself prescribe to when I hire people. Like I literally want to hire somebody who does not think like me, who does not, who did not have the same culture. Like everything that's different for me, that's what I'm attracted to because you're bringing that. in. when when you bring another perspective onto the table, that makes your experience so much richer I think and that comes with travel that comes with being open to meeting new people being open to new cliques being open to you know not just going to the same sorority parties or fraternity parties going to different ones going to different places Um, so yeah diversify diversify yeah I did I studied abroad I don't know if he's still there um god I used to call him Bernie at war but he was What's his name? Bernie. He was an English lit. Um, I have no idea. Gay. Not gonna lie She's to you. <laughs> Don't know. Okay, that's okay. But I st- I did a study abroad program in London, and it just it literally that's actually when I started to draw, because I was so mm. exposed to so much art and, um, yeah, that's actually when I started to draw. Yeah. There you go, Lisa. If someone were interested in following you or following the work that you do online, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm on Instagram, Chinese Ladybug One, or you can find my work at lisalimcomics.com. Um, there you go. There you have it. Lisa, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. It was awesome. I'm, this is like my first podcast, so thank okay, you. I'm honored to be the first. I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> I did. Okay, until next time, diversify. Thank you. Yes, diversify everything. <laughs> okay.